0: Section 1 of beacon lights of history volume 2 Jewish heroes and prophets This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer Please visit LibriVox.org Recording by K. hand Beacon lights of history volume 2 Jewish heroes and prophets by John Lord Abraham part 1 Religious faith from a religious point of view abraham appears to us after the lapse of nearly four thousand years as the most august character in history he may not have had the genius and learning of moses nor his executive ability but as a religious thinker inspired to restore faith in the world and the worship of the one god it would be difficult to find a man more favored or more successful he is the spiritual father equally of the jews christians and mohammedans in their warfare with idolatry in this sense he is the spiritual progenitor of all those nations tribes and peoples who now acknowledge or who may hereafter acknowledge a personal god supreme and eternal in the universe in which he created abraham is the religious father of all those who associate with this personal and supreme deity a providential oversight of this world a being whom all are required to worship and alone to worship as the only true god whose right it is to reign and who does reign and will reign forever and ever over everything that exists animate or inanimate visible or invisible known or unknown in the mighty universe of whose glory and grandeur we have such overwhelming yet indefinite conceptions when abraham appeared whether four thousand or five thousand years ago for chronologists differ in their calculations it would seem that the nations then existing had forgotten or ignored this great cardinal and fundamental truth and were more or less given to idolatry worshipping the heavenly bodies or the forces of nature or animals or heroes or graven images or their own ancestors there were but few and feeble remains of the primitive revelation that is the faith cherished by the patriarchs before the flood and which it would be natural to suppose noah himself had taught his children there was even then however a remarkable material civilization especially in egypt palestine and babylon for some of the pyramids had been built the use of metals of weights and measures and of textile fabrics was known there were also cities and fortresses cornfields and vineyards agricultural implements and weapons of war commerce and arts musical instruments golden vessels ornaments for the person purple dyes spices handmade pottery stone engravings sundials and glasswork and even the use of letters or something similar possibly transmitted from the antediluvian civilization even the art of printing was almost discovered as we may infer from the stamping of letters on tiles with all this material progress however there had been a steady decline in spiritual religion as well as in morals from which fact we infer that men, if left to themselves, whatever truth they may receive from ancestors, will, without supernatural influences, constantly decline in those virtues on which the strength of man is built and without which the proudest triumphs of the intellect avail nothing. The grandest civilization, in its material aspects, may coexist with the utmost debasement of morals, as seen among the Greeks and Romans, and in the wicked capitals of modern Europe there is no god or let there be no god has been the cry in all ages of the world whenever and wherever an impious pride or a low morality has defied or silenced conscience tell me ye rationalists and agnostics with your pagan sympathies what mean ye by laws of development and by the necessary progress of the human race except in the triumphs of that kind of knowledge which is entirely disconnected with virtue and which has proved powerless to prevent the decline and fall of nations why did not art science philosophy and literature save the most lauded nations of the ancient world why so rapid a degeneracy among people favored not only with a primitive revelation but by splendid triumphs of reason and knowledge why did gross superstition so speedily obscure the intellect and infamous vices so soon undermine the moral health if man can elevate himself by his unaided strength Why did error seemingly prove as vital as truth in all the varied forms of civilization in the ancient world? Why did even tradition fail to keep alive the knowledge of God, at least among the people? Now, among pagans and idolaters, Abram, as he was originally called, lived until he was seventy-five. His father Terah was a descendant of Shem, of the eleventh generation, and the original seat of his tribe was among the mountains of southern Armenia, north of Assyria. From thence, Terra migrated to the plains of Mesopotamia, probably with the desire to share the rich pastures of the lowlands, and settled in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was one of the most ancient of the Chaldean cities and one of the most splendid, where arts and sciences were cultivated, where astronomers watched the heavens, poets composed hymns, and scribes stamped on clay tablets books which, according to Geike, have in part come down to our own times it was in this pagan city that abram was born and lived until the call his father was a worshipper of the tutelary gods of his tribe of which he was the head but his idolatry was not so degrading as that of the chaldeans who belonged to a different race from his own being the descendants of ham among whom the arts and sciences had made considerable progress As was natural since what we call civilization arose it is generally supposed in the powerful monarchies founded by Assyrian and Egyptian warriors although it is claimed that both China and India were also great empires at this period with the growth of cities and the power of kings idolatry increased and the knowledge of the one true God declined from such influences it was necessary that Abram should be removed if he was to found a nation with a monotheistic belief so in obedience to a call from god he left the city of his birthplace and went toward the land of canaan and settled in haran where he remained until the death of his father who it seems had accompanied him in his wanderings but was probably too infirm to continue the fatiguing journey abram now the head of his tribe and doubtless a powerful chieftain received another call and with it the promise that he should be the founder of a great nation and that in him all the families of the earth should be blessed Why was that call coupled with such a magnificent and cheering promise? It was the voice of God commanding Abram to leave country and kindred and go to a country utterly unknown to him, not even indicated to him, but which in due time should be revealed to him. He is not called to repudiate idolatry, but by divine command to go to an unknown country. He must have been already a believer in the one supreme God, or he would not have felt the command to be imperative unless his belief had been monotheistic we must attribute to him a marvellous genius and striking originality of mind together with an independence of character still more remarkable for it requires not only original genius to soar beyond popular superstitions but also great force of will and lofty intrepidity to break away from them as when buddha renounced brahmanism or socrates ridiculed the sophists of attica nothing requires more moral courage than the renunciation of a popular and generally received religious belief it was a hard struggle for luther to give up the ideas of the middle ages in reference to self-expiation it is exceedingly rare for any one to be emancipated from the tyranny of prevailing dogmas so if abram was not divinely instructed in a way that implies supernatural illumination he must have been the most remarkable sage of all antiquity to found a religion never abrogated by succeeding revelations which has lasted from his time to ours and is today embraced by so large a part of the human race including christians mohammedans and jews abram must have been more gifted than the whole school of ionian philosophers united from thales downward since after three hundred years of speculation and lofty inquiries they only arrived at the truth that the being who controls the universe must be intelligent even socrates plato and cicero the most gifted men of classical antiquity had very indefinite notions of the unity and personality of god while abram distinctly recognized this great truth even amid universal idolatry and a degrading polytheism Yet the Bible recognizes in Abram moral rather than intellectual greatness. He was distinguished for his faith, and a faith so exalted and pure that it was accounted unto him for righteousness. His faith in God was so profound that it was followed by unhesitating obedience to God's commands. He was ready to go wherever he was sent, instantly, without conditions or remonstrance. In obedience to the divine voice, then, Abram, after the death of his father Terah, passed through the land of Canaan unto sikkim or shechem afterward a city of samaria he then went still farther south and pitched his tent on a mountain having bethel on the west and Hai on the east and there he built an altar unto the lord after this it would appear that he proceeded still farther to the south probably near the northern part of idumea wherever abraham journeyed he found the canaanites descendants of ham petty tribes or nations governed by kings no more powerful than himself they are supposed in their invasions to have conquered the aboriginal inhabitants whose remote origin is veiled in impenetrable obscurity but who retain some principles of the primitive religion it is even possible that melchizedek the unconquered king of salem who blessed abram belonged to those original people who were of semitic origin nevertheless the canaanites or Hamitic tribes were at this time the dominant inhabitants Of these tribes or nations, the Sidonians or Phoenicians were the most powerful. Next to them, according to Ewald, were three nations living toward the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, then two in the most northerly country conquered by Israel, the Girgashites and the Hivites, then four in Phoenicia, and lastly, the most northern of all, the well-known kingdom of Hamath on the Orontes the jebusites occupied the country around jerusalem the amorites also dwelt in the mountainous regions and were warlike and savage like the ancient highlanders of scotland they entrenched themselves in strong castles the hittites or children of heth were on the contrary peaceful having no fortified cities but dwelling in the valleys and living in well-ordered communities the hivites dwelt in the middle of the country and were also peaceful having reached a considerable civilization and being in the possession of the most flourishing inland cities the philistines entered the land at a period subsequent to the other canaanites probably after abram coming it is supposed from crete it would appear that abram was not molested by these various petty canaanitish nations that he was hospitably received by them that he had pleasant relations with them and even entered into their battles as an ally or protector nor did abram seek to conquer territory powerful as he was he was still a pilgrim and a wanderer journeying with his servants and flocks wherever the lord called him and hence he excited no jealousy and provoked no hostilities He had not long been settled quietly with his flocks and herds before a famine arose in the land, and he was forced to seek subsistence in Egypt, then governed by the shepherd kings, called Hyksos, who had driven the proud native monarch reigning at Memphis to the southern part of the kingdom in the vicinity of Thebes. Abram was well received at the court of the pharaohs, until he was detected in a falsehood in regard to his wife, whom he passed as his sister. He was then sent away with all that he had, together with his nephew Lot. Returning to the land of Canaan, Abram came to the place where he had before pitched his tent, between Bethel and Hai, unto the altar which he had some time before erected, and called upon the name of the Lord. But the land was not rich enough to support the flocks and herds of both Abram and Lot, and there arose a strife between their respective herdsmen. So the patriarch and his nephew separated, Lot choosing for his residence the fertile plain of the Jordan, and Abram remaining in the land of Canaan it was while sojourning at bethel that the lord appeared again unto abram and promised to him the whole land as a future possession of his posterity after that he removed his tent to the plain of mamre near or in hebron and again erected an altar to his god Here Abram remained in true patriarchal dignity without further migrations, abounding in wealth and power, and able to rescue his nephew Lot from the hands of Keterlomer, the king of Elam, and from the other oriental monarchs who joined his forces, pursuing them even to Damascus. For this signal act of heroism Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek, in the name of their common lord, the Most High God. Who was this Prince of Salem? Was he an earthly potentate, ruling an unconquered city of the aboriginal inhabitants? Or was he a mysterious personage, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning nor end of days, nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, an incarnation of the Deity, to repeat the blessing which the patriarch had already received? The history of Abram, until his supreme trial, seems principally to have been repeated covenants with God, and the promises held out of the future greatness of his descendants the greatness of the israelitish nation however was not to be in political ascendancy, nor in great attainments in the arts and sciences nor in cities and fortresses and chariots and horses nor in that outward splendor which would attract the gaze of the world and thus provoke conquests and political combinations and grand alliances and colonial settlements by which the capital on zion's hill would become another rome or tyre or carthage or athens or alexandria but quite another kind of greatness it was to be a moral and spiritual rather than material or intellectual the centre of a new religious life from which theistic doctrines were to go forth and spread for the healing of the nations all to culminate when the proper time should come in the mission of jesus christ and in his teachings as narrated and propagated by his disciples this was the grand destiny of the hebrew race and for the fulfillment of this end they were located in a favored country separated from other nations by mountains deserts and seas and yet capable by cultivation of sustaining a great population while they were governed by a polity tending to keep them a distinct isolated and peculiar people to the descendants of ham and japheth were given cities political power material civilization but in the tents of shem religion was to dwell from first to last said geike the intellect of the hebrew dwelt supremely on the matters of his faith the triumphs of the pencil or the chisel he left with contemptuous indifference to egypt or assyria or greece nor had the jew any such interest in religious philosophy as has marked other people the Aryan nations both east and west might throw themselves with ardor into those high questions of metaphysics but he contented himself with the utterances of revelation the world may have inherited no advances in political science from the hebrew no great epic no school of architecture no high lessons in philosophy no wide extension of human thought or knowledge in any secular direction but he has given it his religion to other races we owe the splendid inheritance of modern civilization and secular culture but the religious education of mankind has been the gift of the jew alone for this end, Abram was called to the land of Canaan. From this point of view alone, we see the blessing and the promise which were given to him. In this light, chiefly, he became a great benefactor. He gave a religion to the world. At least he established its fundamental principle, the worship of the only true God. If we were asked, says Max Muller, how it was that Abraham possessed not only the primitive conception of the divinity, as he has revealed himself to all mankind, but passed through the denial of all other gods to the knowledge of the one God, we are content to answer that it was by a special divine revelation. If the greatness of the Jewish race was spiritual rather than temporal, so the real greatness of Abraham was in his faith. Faith is a sentiment or principle not easily defined, but be it intuition or induction or deduction, supported by reason or without reason whatever it is we know what it means the faith of abraham which saint paul so urgently commends the same in substance as his own faith in jesus christ stands out in history as so bright and perfect that it is represented as the foundation of religion itself without which it is impossible to please god and with which one is assured of divine favor with its attendant blessings if i were to analyze it i should say that it is a perfect trust in god allied with obedience to his commands with this sentiment as the supreme rule of life abraham is always prepared to go wherever the way is indicated he has no doubts no questionings no skepticism he simply adores the lord almighty as the object of his supreme worship and is ready to obey his commands whether he can comprehend the reason of them or not he needs no argument to confirm his trust or stimulate his obedience and this is faith an ultimate principle that no reasonings can shake or strengthen this faith so sublime and elevated needs no confirmation and is not made more intelligent by any definitions if the cogito ergo sum is an elemental and ultimate principle of philosophy so the faith of abraham is the fundamental basis of all religion which is weakened rather than strengthened by attempts to define it All definitions of an ultimate principle are vain, since everybody understands what is meant by it. No truly immortal man, no great benefactor, can go through life without trials and temptations, either to test his faith or to establish his integrity. Even Jesus Christ himself was subjected for forty days to the snares of the devil. Abram was no exception to this moral discipline. He had two great trials to pass through before he could earn the title of Father of the Faithful first, in reference to the promise that he should have legitimate children, and secondly, in reference to the sacrifice of Isaac. As to the first, it seemed impossible that Abram should have issue through his wife Sarah, she being ninety years of age, and he ninety-nine or one hundred. The very idea of so strange a thing caused Sarah to laugh incredulously, and it is recorded in the seventeenth chapter of Genesis that Abram also fell on his face and laughed, saying in his heart, Shall a son be born unto him that is one hundred years old? evidently he at first received the promise with some incredulity he could leave ur of the chaldees by divine command this was an act of obedience but he did not fully believe in what seemed to be against natural law which would be a sort of faith without evidence blind against reason he requires some sign from god whereby said he shall i know that i shall inherit it that is canaan and that my seed shall be in number as the stars of heaven then followed the renewal of the covenant And, according to the frequent custom of the times, when covenants were made between individual men, Abram took a new name. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more Abram, father of elevation, but thy name shall be Abraham, father of a multitude. For a father of many nations have I made thee we observe that the covenant was repeatedly renewed in connection with which was the rite of circumcision which abraham and his posterity and even his servants were required scrupulously to observe and which it would appear he unreluctantly did observe as an important condition of the covenant why this rite was so imperatively commanded we do not know neither can we understand why it was so indissolubly connected with the covenant between god and abraham We only know that it was piously kept, not only by Abraham himself, but by his descendants from generation to generation, and became one of the distinctive marks and peculiarities of the Jewish nation, the sign of the promise that in Abraham all the families of the earth should be blessed, a promise fulfilled even in the patriarchal monotheism of Arabia, the distant tribes of which, under Mohammed, accepted the one supreme God. End of section 1